Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. I'm grateful you're here. On today's show, music and movies. Award season is in full swing with the Oscars around the corner and the BAFTAs are this weekend. Today, we'll speak with BAFTA and Oscar nominee Sandra Hewler, who is nominated for Best Actress for her work in the film Anatomy of a Fall. And as part of our yearly big picture series that looks at those nominated behind the scenes, we'll speak with sound designer Johnny Byrne, who is nominated for his work on Zone of Interest. And we'll also be joined later by costume designer Jacqueline West, who is nominated this year for her work on Killers of the Flower Moon. That is the plan, so let's get this started with our last installment of our Public Song Project launch. Today is the final day of our week-long launch of the 2024 Public Song Project. Each day, we've debuted a new song from one of our special guest contributors for the project, Arturo Faro, Lokut Kani, Billy Martin, American Patchwork Quartet, Valerie June. And today, we're excited to bring you a song from the Brooklyn-based indie supergroup Coco. If you've missed any of the songs or want to listen back to them, go to wnyc.org slash public song project. We've built a playlist to share all the songs, which we'll keep updating as we add more, many more friends of WNYC to the list. You can also find more info on there about how to get involved yourself, whatever your level of experience. Qualifying song contributions will be featured online alongside our esteemed friends, and you can also have a chance to talk about it on the air. Just pick a piece of work, music, film, or literature in the public domain from the 1920s and send us your adaptation, and we'll take care of the rest. Now, joining me to share a new version of I'll See You in My Dreams and cap off our public song project launch is Maya Friedman. She's a member of the band Coco. Hi, Maya. Hi. Also joining us is Oliver Hill from Coco. Hi, Oliver. Hi. So, Maya, for listeners thinking about recording a song for the project like y'all did, Tell us a bit about why this appealed to you, this project. Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, the, so, well, Coco, <laughs> our band Coco, has the, the other song that we've made a cover of is actually one very similar to this one. It's an older song called It's a Blue World, and it's broken up into you know, three or four part harmonies. And we felt excited about creating like a sister or a brother song to Blue World. Oliver, what appealed to you about this project, the public song project? Yeah, I've I've had a a fascination with standards for a long time. It's just been growing and growing. And I don't have a jazz background myself. And so I kind of just approaching it from not understanding the music, but loving it. So any opportunity to learn a new standard is always welcome. So Maya, for people who don't know, Coco is kind of a local super group. Can you tell us about the other projects you're involved with? Yeah. So I will play, play in Coco with Oliver and Dan Malad, and I also play in Dirty Projectors. And I, uh, I have my own project that's releases music under my name, which is Maya Friedman. And that, I think, sums it up, yeah. Oliver, how did the three of you get together to form Coco? 
Well, we've known each other a long time. We've, we've been friends since about 2012, and we've made music in a bunch of capacities, sort of producing each other's records and touring with each other. And so it was, um, you know, a really nice natural story, I guess, of started just casually of us being friends and making music together and then realizing there was, you know, real creative chemistry and wanting to, to pursue that. And we kind of just slid into being a band. So you have an album coming out in March, your second album called Two. Let's play a clip from it, Mythological Man, and we can talk about it on the other side. This is from Coco. Say the mythological man. So that album is going to come out on March 1st. Oliver, what ideas and conversations did you have as a trio about what you wanted to accomplish with your sophomore album? Well, it really was continuous from the making of the first album. And in fact, we started making it before the first album even came out. So there wasn't so much of a discrete uh, intention. We just wanted, we were really in a flow having these writing retreats together and we wanted to just keep doing them. Um, so we, it's really is just another batch of songs with the same ethos as the first record, I would say. It's partly why we named it too. It's sort of part two. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is something you'd love my, you'd love people to know about the making of part two? That's that you, the thing you tell people about it when you were saying, oh, we've got this new album coming out. Yeah. Well, one way that Coco really likes to work is that we will pick a place away from where we all live to, mm -hmm. to go to, to kind of form like a retreat setting. And often we will go to a, a house, maybe a friend's house, and we'll bring a bunch of recording gear, or maybe it'll be a friend's house that has like a little home set up. And we kind of do do it's like a very DIY recording process. Danny, the other member in Coco, is an engineer, and Oliver does some engineering, mm -hmm. and so we we all just record one another. Um, with two, we involved another person this time for the first time. Um, is an engineer producer named Adrian Olson, and we wanted to work with him really to give Danny the opportunity to be freed up a little bit of being in the engineer role so that he could focus a little more on the creative songwriting, you know, producing, playing side. So we're going to play your song that you had chosen for the public song project. It's I'll See You in My Dreams, published in 1924 by Gus Kahn and Isham Jones. What, uh, Oliver, what drew you to this particular song? Well, the, sele the selection was actually Maya's choice. Oh, Maya, but, um... what you do this particular song? <laughs> um, well, I uh, I just had 
a daughter four months ago. I, I have my, my first child. And just recently, she, I've been dreaming about her. Uh, so so my I was I've always paid attention to my dreams and um, think a lot about them. And so I was really curious to see when she would start to enter my subconscious in that way. And so, um, you know, in, in some ways, when I hear this song, I think about her, obviously, without the romantic overtones of, of this, of this song, but a lot of it, when I, when I sing it, and hear it, I think about my daughter. Maya Friedman and Oliver Hill of the band Coco. We're going to hear I'll See You in My Dreams. Thank you so much for your contribution to the Public Song Project. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I'll see That was the band Coco performing I'll See You in My Dreams, written by Gus Kahn and Isham Jones, and published in 1924. Kahn and Jones were part of the Tin Pan Alley scene, the collection of music publishers and songwriters of the early 20th century who wrote some of the most enduring songs of the last century. Kahn, the lyricist, was an especially heavy hitter, writing songs like Dream a Little Dream of Me, It Had to Be You, and Ain't We Got Fun. 
At the same time that those songwriters were churning out hits on West 28th Street, another group of writers were bringing music to the stage right around the corner on Broadway. So for our Public Song Project history lesson today, we wanted to look into the history of those two musical hubs of 1920s New York. Joining me once again is Anna Chilenza, Professor of Musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Anna, thank you so much for spending time with us this week. Oh, thank you. It's been a real thrill. You just heard I'll See You in My Dreams by Isham Jones and Gus Kahn. Let's start there. Where do these two folks fit in within 1920s popular music? Um, well, for those of you who are late bloomers, there is hope for everyone. And I say that because Isham Jones really didn't start writing songs until he was 45. He was a working musician in Michigan, moved to Chicago um, in 1915 and had a created a very famous dance band called the Isham Jones Orchestra. And um, it's in Chicago where he teamed up with Gus Kahn, who had been born in Germany, immigrated to the U.S. when he was young. And so Tin Pan Alley, I mean, we often talk about that section of New York, but it also is a fill-in just for the, the publishing industry. And Chicago was a, an important wing or, you know, a, 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 another limb of that. And so you'll have publishers um, that are going out to the major cities like Chicago and connecting uh, with writers. So that's where uh, Kahn and Jones started working together. And then they moved to New York in the early 1930s uh, when they, you know, were such huge stars. They really took off. Who are some of the other names that people should know if they want to be somewhat versed in Tin Pan Alley history? Well, definitely the Gershwin brothers. Um, they are major figures. Uh, you think of Cole Porter. Um, you think of uh, UB Blake, for example. Uh, um, so basically any composer who is publishing music in the teens and 20s, all these songs that we often refer to as the great American songbook, um, that they were the composers of Tin Pan Alley. And to be honest, there are countless others that, you know, we've sort of lost uh, touch with or we don't we don't realize we don't talk about them as much. When we're talking about Tin Pan Alley. I wanted to ask about Broadway as well. The Broadway communities and communities and composers did composers belong to one community or other. Was there any cross pollinization? Oh, it was completely cross-pollinized. In fact, the the publishing industry of publishing sheet music and then the recording industry of making these early uh, recordings and Broadway were all linked together. And in fact, I would say this is the period where you really get the modern American music industry because it's all about multiple revenue streams. So you write a song and you publish it, uh, the sheet music, but the way you're going to get lots of people to buy that sheet music is if you can convince a Broadway producer to put that song in a show or if you can connect with a famous singer like Al Jolson and get him to sing your song. Um, that's how Gershwin kind of got his claim to fame with Swanee and Al Jolson. And then you get uh, those singers after the show is done to go and record uh, records and then people buy the records. So if you were a composer, a songwriter or a lyricist, you could make a lot of money if you were smart about connecting with all those different branches of the music industry. 
My guest is Anna Chilenza, professor of musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. We're discussing a little bit of history of Tin Pan Alley and Broadway in the time of the 1920s. You have given us several great tracks to take a listen to. We're going to start with a song from 1921 from the musical Shuffle Along, written by, oh, you said his name earlier, U.B. Blake, uh, and is it Noble Sissel? Yeah, lyricist Noble Sissel. Yeah. All right. Who were Sissel and Blake? I know Blake. I don't. I didn't know that much about Sissel though. Um, well, both of them actually uh, served with a man named uh, um, James Reese Europe in the First World War. So these were musicians that were working in in New York, African Americans, and they enlisted during World War One, and they went and fought. And they were some of the first heroes, American heroes, in World War One. They fought alongside the French, uh, and when they they also took their instruments. They were all musicians, and when the war was over, they toured France and played and introduced Europe to a lot of this amazing ragtime and early jazz and they came back and they were in this is around 1919 they then launched their careers um and so uh, i'm happy to say ub blake is from baltimore mm -hmm. which is where i live um uh, and they wrote a number of shows but shuffle along is really important because it was the first Broadway show that wasn't just performed by an all-black cast, but the composer and the lyricist and the producer and the person who wrote the book, every aspect of that musical what was done by African Americans. Um, and it was also a huge hit um, in 1921. It ran for over 500 performances, which was sort of unheard of back then. So. Um, yeah, and it, this is it, it, it's got some great music, and some folks probably don't even know where these songs come from. Like, um, I think the one you're about to play. Yeah, I'm just wild about Harry. People probably didn't know the origin story of it. Uh, it is from Shuffle Along. Why did you? What did you want to highlight about this song? We're going to play two versions. Well, um, it gets picked up later on by Harry Truman and used as a, a campaign song. So I just kind of couldn't resist with mm -hmm. given the era we're in right now in politics. Um, the other thing that's really fascinating about it, I think, is that it is uh, a song that's still sung, you know, by it's a, it, it becomes a love song. It gets used in all these different ways, depending who's singing it. Let's hear a 1922 version of the song featuring Marion Harris and none other than... As you mentioned earlier, the Isham Jones Orchestra. We're going to hear a cover of this 
by Rhiannon Giddens, who will be one of our Public Song Project contributors. Why did you want, I mean, I can listen to Rhiannon Giddens all day, all day, all the time. (laughs) Why this version specifically? Well, because I think uh, Rihanna Giddens does a very important thing for American music, and that is, I should note, Marion Harris was white, um, and she was the first white uh, blues singer. So she took a lot of songs that were already made famous by people like Mamie Smith and Bessie Smith, and also from this musical, and sang them. And one of the wonderful things that Rihanna Giddens does is she kind of goes back and reclaims a lot of that music and has done a great job of putting our focus back on the black composers and performers that really had such an impact on American culture. Um, And she's also from North Carolina and so am I originally. So um, I've always been a big fan. Let's listen to Rhiannon Giddens. I'm just wild about Harry. I'm just wild about Harry and Harry's wild about me. Kisses fills me with ecstasy. He's sweet just like chocolate candy and just like honey from a bee. Oh, I'm just wild about Harry, and he's just wild about cannot do without. He's just wild about me. Anna, who are some other Black lyricists and composers working on Broadway around this time? Well, you also have, um, uh, well, you would have folks whose music gets brought into that. So a lot of composers, for example, like Duke Ellington, his, his music will start to get used. And then you also have great orchestrators like Will Votary, who actually did the orchestration for um, Shuffle Along. And he would go on and work with George Gershwin. And and so there's there's a lot of mix of, of folks. Um, and I should say you also have some women. Um, so for example, uh, Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields were a popular songwriting team. And um, she had a huge impact as well on Broadway. You wanted to highlight the musical review, Blackbirds of 1928. What is the story behind this show? So this show was written by Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields. They were uh, white, but the show itself was a complete African-American show. And it was first written um, for actually a nightclub, the Ambassador's Nightclub in New York. Uh, it opened there sort of as a as a show to entertain people as they're having dinner. And it was such a huge hit that it transferred to the Liberty Theater. And it launched a lot of great songs, um, and it became so popular that in 1929, the show moved to Paris and was um, a big hit for a number of months at the Moulin Rouge. We're going to play a version by Ella Fitzgerald of the song, I Can't Give You Anything But Love from Blackbirds of 1928. Gee, but it's tough to be broke, kid. It's not a joke, kid, it's a curse My luck is changing, it's gotten From simply rotten to something worse 
Who knows someday I will win too I'll begin to reach my prime Now though I see what our end is All I can spend is just my time I can't give you Anything but love, baby. That's the only thing I've plenty of, baby. Dream of. Let it play all the way out. I can't talk over Ella. That's that's inappropriate. <laughs> um, what is interesting to you about her interpretation of that song? Well, I mean, Ella, anything she sings is amazing. But I think what she does is she takes a song that was much more originally sort of upbeat. Uh, it was almost a comical number in in the Broadway show. It was because this type of Broadway show is what we call a review, which was basically a mix of there wasn't a plot. It was a mix of, you know, comedy skits and musical numbers and then, you know, dance sequences. And so this song is just sort of put in there as one of those quick sequences sequences, she turns it into a real love song. Um, and I think in some ways gets at the origins of the song. Um, the songwriters said they got their inspiration when they walked by Tiffany's and there was a young couple there looking in the window and she, they overheard the guy say, well, I can't buy you that. I can't buy you anything but love. So, and they, they went, oh, what a great song. <laughs> We're talking a little bit about the history of Tin Pan Alley and Broadway in the 1920s. My guest is Anna Chilenza, professor of musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. So we're going to hear uh, a version of the song Manhattan by Dinah Washington is performing it. Um, who is this by? So um, this is uh, by Rogers and Hart. So a great famous team uh, on Tim Pan Alley and also a famous songwriting team for Broadway. Uh, and this tune came from another review called the uh, Garrick Gaieties. And to be honest, this is the song that launched their careers. In fact, Rogers, Richard Rogers was about to throw in the towel of trying to be a musician. Uh, and this song launched them. Let's listen to Dinah Washington singing Manhattan. We'll take Manhattan, the Bronx and Staten Island too. It's lovely going through. And as we are WNYC, I feel like that is a perfect place to wrap the segment. Anna Chalenza is professor of musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us this week. It's been a thrill, and I'm really excited to hear some of the new songs or the performances that will be coming out.
Listeners, if this week has gotten you interested in joining the Public Song Project for 2024, sending in a song from the 1920s, if that sounds interesting to you, go to wnyc.org slash public song project. You can find more details, resources, and listen to some of the great songs by Valerie June, Arturo O'Farrell, and more. We'll also keep updating the website with more songs as we collect submissions over the next few months. Also, make sure you check back and follow us on social media at all of it WNYC. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.